Hey there, it's your favorite podcaster coming at you with an amazing discovery. You know how frustrating it can be when you're trying to stream a 4K video only to have it buffer and buffer and buffer some more? Well, let me tell you, I found the solution. I recently upgraded to the Asus Zen Wi-Fi XD5 mesh system and let me tell you, my Wi-Fi has never been better. The setup was super easy and I love the flexible network naming. But what really sets this router apart is the Wi-Fi 6 technology and I can now stream all my favorite shows and movies in the highest quality without any interruptions or buffering. And the best part? The lifelong free AI protection keeps my network secure and my mind at ease. With the Asus Zen Wi-Fi XT5 I get super fast, reliable and secure Wi-Fi connections in every corner of my home. Now I can finally work play and stream without any frustrating interruptions. So if you're ready to take your Wi-Fi game to the next level, head over to asus.click slash zen Wi-Fi underscore XD5 or check out the show notes of this episode. Trust me, with Asus Zen Wi-Fi XD5, you'll get the best Wi-Fi experience ever. Welcome back to another episode of Data Sunset Home Podcast. I'm Francesco, podcasting from the regular office of Brussels City based in Belgium. In this episode, I want to speak about privacy and uh, in particular about privacy of data that in turn has uh, an impact on uh, uh, the owners or the custodians of uh, such data. And uh, I'm referring to, of course, something that goes across sectors um, from healthcare in particular, pharmaceutical, as well as social media, finance and many, many others. The major problem of artificial intelligence and machine learning solutions is that, as we all know, they all depend on the availability of data uh, that are the number one ingredient to make these models accurate and uh, reliable and, of course, usable, uh, depending on the use case. And we have seen this many times. Uh, whenever a prediction is uh, uh, needs to be performed, behind that prediction there is an enormous amount, or there can be, an enormous amount of data that uh, have been used to train uh, such models, regardless of how complex these models are. Now, of course, the models that come from the deep learning family uh, are even more data hungry. Uh, and the models like the last ones that is on the news in the last few weeks, for example, the GPT family of models and uh, ChatGPT in particular, uh, these are all models that require uh, even terabytes of data uh, if needed. Not to mention all the other models, so-called generative models, and we have a long list there as well, uh, more related to the computer vision uh, field of research, uh, for example, the Dolly and all the others that can generate images or videos or can simply generate media uh, files, even speech uh, in many cases. Uh, well, these are all models that, again, have been trained on massive amounts of data. Uh, in particular media data in that case, uh, for example, images, videos, audio, and many, and, uh, and much, much more. So the problem is, how does uh, privacy work in these situations? Because uh, we can understand that there is a problem of ownership whenever these models start generating data, uh, being inspired or trained uh, by existing images, even art, uh, that is, you know, available online. So first of all, the the first big problem that I see in this scenario is, of course, the uh, the problem of ownership. Uh, it's uh, almost impossible to, uh, let's say, or reward the original author 
of that particular data point that was used to train that model uh, that in turn is generating an image, media, a text, or any other type of data. So the problem of ownership, in my opinion, is something it uh, uh, requires a discussion by itself. Uh, in this episode, I would like to uh, refer more to the problem of privacy because artificial intelligence and machine learning solutions are all affected by such a problem. And uh, many times uh, one wants a model to be uh, reliable in terms of accuracy, and uh, reducing the uncertainty introduced by the model. But at the same time, one doesn't want to, uh, you know, distribute or publish or make certain type of data available to the researchers who are going to train that model. And so it's kind of a chicken and egg problem. What do we do first? Because data is the number one ingredient for these models. Uh, Models need to be accurate. And to be accurate, they need data, but we don't want to give data. (laughs) So what do we do? This, of course, opens a, an amazing discussion about uh, privacy, but also an amazing discussion about some of the potential solutions that can overcome such a limitation, uh, which means having kind of the best of both worlds, that is reliable models without disclosing uh, information or personal identifiable information. And we have seen that on that chapter, there is uh, plenty of solutions so far that come from the world of crypto, where crypto stands for cryptography. And uh, we have seen solutions like federated learning, solutions like um, uh, homomorphic encryption, and of course, also multi-party computation that are the so-called computational solutions that require knowledge of uh, encryption schemes in order to encrypt the data in a particular way and uh, make the encrypted data available to a calculation and, you know, still continue with that calculation even in encrypted form. That's pretty much what, for example, homomorphic encryption does. And we have uh, also discussed this a number of times on this this show, uh, how much limited such a method would be. Uh, Many times it's uh, even not feasible due to the fact that the encrypted data would be inflated so much, uh, even orders of magnitude with respect to the original data for which the method would become absolutely impractical because when you're dealing with gigabytes already, applying a multiplier to that, uh, inf- to that size uh, would make things extremely uncomfortable for machines. Another uh, solution that we, have, uh, that we have discussed extensively on this show is uh, federated learning. And uh, federated learning is, uh, to summarize uh, very, very briefly, an approach that allows different teams, for example, or different owners to train their part of the model, uh, which is usually the same model, uh, on their own data, right? And so this means that the model would essentially be shared among all the participants to the computation. And uh, while the data will stay siloed in each of the participants' infrastructure, and each participant, let's say, promises to train, to keep training the model and then pass the model to the next one. And this model is essentially rotated uh, and passes from from hands to hands uh, in order to be trained until the end. Now, of course, also this approach has, um, you know, limitations due to the fact that one can uh, run away with a trained model so far or not share the model at all after its turn, or even worse, they can contaminate the model and train it with the 
let's say, fake data or um, inaccurate data for which the model would start degrading. And uh, that's something that, you know, I'm mentioning. Um, I'm pretty sure that serious participants who want to share the model after all would avoid this but you know these are all behaviors that can be uh, in fact acquired by people teams or companies organizations participants in general so this you know to show that the methodology is not exactly uh, you know a silver bullet against privacy and also in favor of uh, uh, distributed learning of machine learning models so what do we do well, I think that uh, one uh, other concept that deserves some uh, discussion goes under the name of zero-knowledge proofs. And uh, zero-knowledge proofs are essentially a cryptographic primitive that uh, allows one to prove that something is true, that a particular statement is true, without showing any additional information uh, in order to make that statement true or in order to convince someone that the statement is indeed true. Probably the one uh, example, classic example that uh, top of my head um, I would use to explain what a zero-knowledge proof can do uh, is in case one wants to, for example, um, authenticate on a system, on a remote server, using a password without actually sharing that password. Uh, and, you know, this is kind of weird, but it's actually possible with uh, something called zero-knowledge password proof or ZKPP. Essentially, what one needs to do is to, well, we need, we need first of all, two peers, the, let's say, computer or remote server that generates a random challenge, uh, which is usually a secret question or a task that uh, only someone who knows the password can complete. Then I, as the owner of the password, would, you know, do some computation uh, on the password and this challenge uh, without revealing the password. Uh, in order to produce a response, another encrypted response. At that point, the remote server would verify that the response is correct based on the challenge, first of all, and also some information uh, that it knows about the password, even though it doesn't know the password entirely. And so without learning the password itself, the remote server is capable of understanding that I really, I'm really the owner of the password because I could uh, generate a response that is actually valid. Now, of course, this is one of many examples that in order to explain zero-knowledge proof without a whiteboard, but I, I reassure you that uh, the, the mathematics behind zero-knowledge proof is quite complex, um, even though the entire topic is extremely fascinating to me. What does this have to do with machine learning and artificial intelligence? Well, if you think and uh, you start, you know, uh, taking a distance from, you know, looking at the concept of zero knowledge proofs from a distance, um, you know, it would be relatively simple to understand that zero knowledge proofs uh, can allow uh, projects, you know, multiple teams to collaborate in a trustless environment and for example, uh, each team could train their data separately and of course attach to their training task a zero knowledge proof that actually proves to the other to the others of, to the other teams that the model has been trained correctly and accordingly. Uh, and also that same tr proof could also guarantee with a very high level of certainty that the results uh, haven't been tampered with. 
Another use case in uh, machine learning and uh, data science uh, would be, for example, sharing data among silos uh, by anonymizing it uh, and including zero-knowledge proofs that uh, give high certainty that the data is indeed uh, real. And of course, it exists because uh, one can attach a zero-knowledge proof to the to the data uh, without sharing the data, and uh, you know, create a challenge that can uh, give the chance to validate the fact that. Uh, you know, the statement, I have the data, I'm the owner of the real data, and the real data is here without actually sending you the data. In many situations, sending you the data would be even prohibitive due to the size of the data or to uh, very high confidentiality of the same. Now, to the best of my knowledge, I uh, unfortunately haven't seen commercial projects using these methodologies, though these methodologies are from a theoretical perspective, extremely challenging. Also from a practical perspective, implementing challenges that are, for example, uh, limited in size and complexity, um, it's extremely difficult. And probably that's the only reason why we haven't seen commercial products that operate with these concepts underneath. Um, of course, I wish that sooner, sooner than later, um, these concepts will be uh, kind of off the shelf, though I believe uh, we should be waiting several years before that becomes true. Uh, but, you know, these are just a few of the possibilities that come when we start, let's say, merging concepts and methodologies coming from different domains and different fields, in fact, in this case, encryption and cryptography uh, with pure data science and artificial intelligence. But to be more realistic, I would say that for the time being, we need to share data and we need, of course, to train models. And uh, I believe that, of course, only a legal, a legal framework would you know, be capable of protecting the data owners from you know, uh, other third parties abusing their data. We definitely cannot give up artificial intelligence and training models uh, you know, in the name of privacy. Though privacy is an extremely important concept that must be respected. The privacy of individuals, of course, should come first. But from a practical perspective, it's also true that we cannot give up uh, you know, the new findings in artificial intelligence and data science uh, in the name of privacy completely. So we need kind of a trade-off. Imagine if we had a machine learning model or a methodology, a computational methodology that would allow, for example, to predict a certain disease. Now, the fact that we want to protect the privacy of all individuals, uh, you know, would have as a direct consequence the fact that we uh, cannot share our data and therefore we could not uh, build such a, such a model. And therefore we could not, you know, that model would never be used to save lives after all. And so, you know, a trade-off between the two uh, must always be observed. And that's why I'm, I'm pretty convinced of the fact that only legal frameworks until the technology allows us to uh, protect both, that is having reliable models and at the same time protecting the uh, privacy of individuals, only when technology will be mature enough to, be, uh, to, to see the light in uh, commercial projects, um, that would be possible. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed the show. Speak with you next time. You've been listening to Data Science at Home Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new, fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.